Well, good morning. My name is Mark Lucas. Um, I have the privilege from time to time to get up here and share a message with you guys. And so today I'm very excited to share with you in our series, Life's a Beach. I think this is the last message of the series, and then next week is going to be Baptism Sunday. Uh, so please don't uh, miss next week's service. That should be very exciting. It's always great on those baptism weeks. Uh, so this series so far has been, and uh, Pastor Greg kind of started it by saying, all right, so like we, we want you guys to have the best summer you possibly can. Life's a beach. We don't have a lot of good weather in New England. So like, let's go, let's live it up, and let's talk about some ways that you can prepare yourself to have the best summer possible. And so each uh, week they've been just giving us practical ways that we can interact with God and serve God and love God and grow closer to him and have uh, a summer where we can say, wow, life's a beach. I don't know about you though, um, and your mind is probably way more renewed than mine, but when I first saw the series title, Life's a Beach, I instantly thought like, wow, that's pretty edgy of the elders, right? Come on, like you guys, you know where I'm going here, right? <laughs> I instantly thought, not life's a beach, but life's a uh, yeah, I'd like to preach again at some point, so I'm not going to actually say it, but you can kind of fill in, change a couple of letters, and there we go. And if we're being real, doesn't that feel so true often in our lives that we look around and we're like, yeah, life's a beach, but not the good one, <laughs> the bad one, right? And so uh, what I'd like to do today is no matter how hard we try to have the best summer possible, something's going to happen that is not according to our plans. And there will most likely be a moment this summer where you're tempted to say, life's a beach. And what I want to do today is talk about how we can walk through those moments with God uh, and be able to say, no, like, life truly is a beach in a good way, not the bad way. If I just use the other word, you'd probably get what I'm... Actually, I won't. Anyways, so last week, um, Pastor Blake talked about having peace, and it ties so well into where I want to go today. And so... Pastor Blake said that we can have peace no matter what happens in our life because our God is immutable. He's unchanging. And everything in our life, every circumstance, every situation, every good or bad thing is mutable. It changes at some point. But our God is immutable. He is unchanging. So no matter what life throws at us, we can trust in God that he is who he says he is and have peace. So what I'd like to do is dig deeper into those times in our life where our peace is challenged and things don't go how we plan them, and how can we continue to have that peace that Pastor Blake talked about. Um, and so I believe the, God, the word that God has been showing me over the past season of my life is the word perspective. And so the definition of perspective, it's a particular attitude towards or a way of regarding something. And so when life doesn't go your way, and something happens that you wouldn't have necessarily chosen for your life, God's challenge is to have his perspective, to view that situation through his lens, to regard it the way that he does. And when we try and start to have God's perspective in our life and in our situations, it dramatically will change how we walk through them. And so the reason why I can get up here and talk about this today is that my family's had a pretty challenging past year and a half or so of our life. And so many of you have been praying for us, and so many of you have been lifting us up and helping us out in a number of different ways, and we've felt so blessed by you guys. Um, what I'd like to do is just give a really quick recap of where my family's been the past year and a half. 
so you can know that like I'm coming from this as an, from a place of experience um, but also like full honesty full disclosure like I'm working on this just as much as you and like maybe 75% of the time I'm getting it right now but like I'm still dropping the ball in a lot of ways so this is not like a I'm way better than you message this is like I'm in the trenches with you trying to work through this so in March of 2017, we went in for my wife's 18-week ultrasound, and that's like the fun one because you get to find out if you're having a boy or a girl. We found out that we're having a boy, and that's our son Matthew up there. Um, so, but also at that time, they check a number of other things, and so they found out that he has a congenital heart defect called hypoplastic left heart syndrome, HLHS, which essentially, not to get too scientific, but the normal human heart has four chambers, and our son only has two chambers. So he essentially has half a heart. And so without drastic intervention very soon into life, it's a 100% mortality rate. You cannot survive without this heart with, with this heart defect. And so what doctors have kind of figured out over the past 30 years is three-staged um, open-heart surgeries. So when my son was born, we had to, my wife had to deliver him down in um, Boston. Uh, he was after like my wife had like 15 minutes with him and then he was rushed over to Boston Children's from the hospital we were at um, and at five days old he had his first open heart surgery and that kept us in the hospital for a little over a month and then in between surgery one and two it's about three months and so that's called the interstage time and that's probably the most dangerous time in this process because the blood circulation is not um, very uh, it's just very wishy-washy and it's not as good as it can be, but they have to wait to be able to do the next surgery till he's a little bigger. So my wife basically was a hermit for three months inside the house, not able to leave. And then in November, we went down for open heart surgery number two, uh, that's stage two or the Glenn surgery. Uh, and he did really well with that. They found some more things that we hoped weren't there, but long story short, he had second open heart surgery in November and has been doing great ever since, and he has one more surgery to go, uh, most likely next summer. Uh, and then from there on out, it's just hoping and praying and believing that his body does this, because what it, we're asking his body to do is unnatural. Uh, and so they have some people that have done really well with this heart condition, so we're believing that Matthew will continue to be a case uh, and do really well with this. Uh, so that's kind of where we've been over the past year and a half. And as I reflect on that, I realize that there's been many moments in, in our walk and our journey where I was like, yeah, like, I'm doing this really well, and we're walking through this with God's perspective. But I also realize there's been a lot of things that I wish I had done better. You know, I wish I could say that God's perspective was always the one that I took, that I was always peaceful and always trusting and always realized he's in control of this situation. I wish I could say that when I heard scriptures or people shared scriptures with me like, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, I didn't want to just take the Bible and rip all those pages out and throw it somewhere else because really I'm supposed to consider this situation pure joy? I guess what I'm trying to say is I've spent a lot of time wrestling with God over the past year and a half and a lot of time arguing with him because in my expert opinion, this is not the plan I would have chosen for Matthew or for my family. I spent a lot of time telling God over the past year and a half, you know what? You screwed up because you've dropped the ball. Because if I was in your situation, we wouldn't be here right now. I've questioned, you know, we keep saying you're good, you're good. Well, I've spent a lot of time questioning God last year. Are you really that good? I've questioned, um, why is this happening to us? I've told God I can't trust him. 
I've spent a lot of time praying and not seeing my prayers answered in the way that I would choose for them to be answered or in the time fashion, timely fashion that I'd choose for them to be answered. Pretty intense, right? <laughs> so if you've been angry with, I, I don't like awkward moments. I say embrace the awkwardness. So like, anyways, so if you've been angry with God, if something's happened in your life or it's happening right now, where you look at God and you say, really? God, how can I talk to you? How can I trust you? How can I call you good? I get you and I understand those emotions. For my life, though, here's a different perspective. It could be a lot worse, right? Matthew is soaring. I, like, I love this picture of him right here in the red, that like devious look on his face. Like, I believe that God is going to bless us with many years with him. And they're not just going to be like, easy years too, because look at that look on his face. He's going to be a little troublemaker, I think. He is such a second child, um, which is great to have, like, treat him as a second child. If those of you that have at least two, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but I remember one day I was in the elevator at Boston Children's and talking to these two dads, and one of them had been there for nine months with their kid. One of them had been there with 12 months for their kid. I know that there's people here today that have lost children, that have never even had the chance to hold them and would give anything just for that opportunity. I know there's people here that have um, lost loved ones and siblings and parents and, and friends way too soon. I know there's people here that have been betrayed by others close to them, cheated on by a spouse, been abandoned, seen their child go down a road and have like no way to bring them back. I think if we're all being honest, we've had moments in our lives where we say, you know what? life's the beach and it's not going well right now and I'm having a hard time finding you God in this situation so when I share all these situations though in my story I'm not sharing it up here from like a woe is me feel bad from us for feel bad for us perspective it's just my story right that's just what I want you to know but what I've learned and it's so simple but I think it's like really impacting is this Whatever trials in your life at the moment is the most consuming and challenging thing to you. So you may feel like you're about to fall apart over something, and I hear you talking, and I'm like, that's really not even that big a deal. Does that make it less of a big deal to you? Of course not, right? Because whatever situation or whatever trials in your life at the moment is the most consuming and challenging thing to you. So you could be feeling some of the same emotions that I feel going through this situation with my son, Matthew, and that doesn't make your situation any better or worse than mine. It's just the fact that we go through challenging things together, and I think that's a good reminder for us to have grace for other people. The next time you're in small group and that person is rambling on and on about how bad their life is, and you're like, would you just stop already? Have grace for them and realize they might be feeling some of those things that you feel when you go through those challenging times. So the question is then, what do we do with these emotions? Do we stay in a place of hurt and stay angry with God? Or do we search for God's perspective? And what I'd like to do is spend the rest of the time sharing a couple of things that God has taught me over this season of my life uh, as I've been searching for his perspective. And just being completely honest, because I remember sitting here hearing people talk and like wishing someone would just give me that formula to like make Matthew's heart normal. And so I know a lot of you probably sit here and you're like, could he just somehow give me a formula to make this situation go away? No, I don't have that for you. I don't know your situation. But I know God doesn't want you to stay in this place of hurt and anger. And I know God has greater plans for you. 
So as we walk through this today, please just really personalize this, dig in with me, and let's see if we can walk through these situations the way that God would choose for us to. So last July, right before we went down to Boston for my wife to deliver Matthew, uh, she shared with me a devotional that she got in her email from Proverbs 31 ministry. And the title of it was, When You Don't Like the Story God is Writing. And I was like, hmm, that might be a little applicable to our lives right now. And so I'd like to share with you a few parts of this devotional uh, because it's been really impactful for me um, over the season of my life. So the author starts by saying, if it were up to me, I would have scripted some of life's stories differently. So many tragedies have struck people near and dear to me that if I were the writer, they would have been changed. And so personalize this, because church is only as good as how much we personalize it, right? So think about that situation in your past that you're still getting over or that's happening right now. The story where you feel like you could play God better than God, which seems so silly, right? but yet I felt that way many times in my life. She continues by saying, fortunately, I'm not the author, because each of these women impact thousands upon thousands of women all over the world with their powerful stories of God's redemption. God turned their pain into purpose, their ministry, their misery into ministry, and their devastation into anointed messages of hope and restoration. Sudden glories fill and spill from each of their lives. And so as I read this, my first takeaway from finding God's perspective in a trial is this, that God can take the worst situation and make something good come from it. She's saying that no matter how bad it is what you're facing, no matter how dreary and bleak and you think this will never end in your life and it's always going to be this way, God can take that and he can restore it and he can make something good come from that situation. And so there's a scripture that I've really clung to over this past season of my life, which is Ephesians 3.20. And it says this, All glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So no matter how bad your situation is, we need to choose to believe this, right? Believe that God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ever ask or think of him in this situation. And then what's our job? What's our response to that? It's to give him glory. And as we see God turn our pain and suffering into glory, we need to respond by giving it all back to him and thanking him and praising him for that. By the way, this is not easy. If you've been through really dark times, you know this isn't easy, but it's important. She continues by saying, difficult times are pregnant with glory moments. And I love that, like, visualization there of, like, these challenging times are pregnant with glory moments. So I have two kids. Um, so there's Matthew, then my older daughter, who's about three. So I've never been pregnant, um, obviously. But I've seen my wife go through the whole stage and everything. And I've seen her, like, ready to, like, pop. I don't want to say explode because that's like, but you, you like, because that's not how it works. I've been in the delivery room twice. Um, but like, she's so big where like, she's like ready to go. And I, that's, that's the visual image I get here is that these challenging times, they're pregnant with the glory moments. It's like we see God's plan just waiting to be birthed. 
And it's like, it's there, and God's wanting to make something good come from this. But what, what do we need to do? We need to labor through it. We need to struggle with him through these challenging times, which is sometimes just hanging on by a thread and believe that God, like, you are going to take this labor. This labor is hard, and it feels like it's never going to end, and I'm going to be stuck in this situation forever, but I'm going to hold on, and I'm going to decide that I'm with you on this, and there is going to be something good that's going to come from it, and you are going to birth something greater and amazing in my life than I ever could have imagined. And that's what our trials are, and that's what God wants to do. He wants to birth something in our lives out of the despair and the hard times. And I think a lot of it comes down to this. We need to decide if we truly believe Romans 8.28. And so Paul writes in Romans 8.28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so do you really believe that? Do you believe that God will work everything in your life together for good? And I remember a few years ago, Pastor Greg got up here and he shared a word on this message right after worship, and he, he likened it to an analogy with a recipe. So let's say you're making chocolate chip cookies, and you're, you're mixing in some ingredients, and let's say you just, you're like so excited for the chocolate chip cookies, you can't wait to make the whole dough, and so you just start with the flour and you eat it. That'd be disgusting, right? Or if you just take the flour and the sugar and the baking powder, you just, that's disgusting. It's not until you mix all of the ingredients together in the right amount, in the proper order at the proper time, that you get the amazing cookie dough. And what Greg was telling us that day that God had placed on his heart is that's what our lives are like. It's easy to look at one situation in one moment and say, God, you're not good. How can I trust you? But God says, no, if you could only see it from my perspective, step back. And look, I'm doing this and this and this and this is happening in this person's life and this will happen in your life and I'm taking all of these things and I'm working them together for your good. It doesn't mean that life will work out the way we want it to, but he promises that he will work it all together for our good. So when God writes a different story than you would have, what will you do? Will you labor through it and hang on and stay in your word and pray and be in contact with other people and invite a community into what it is that you're walking through? Or will you pound your fists in the sand like a toddler does and mourn the way that you want it to be? Will you find God's perspective and try to view this the way that he does? Or will you just wish for a different outcome? So, one way to find God's perspective in a trial is to believe that he can make something good come from any situation, especially if we labor through it with him. Another thing that God's been showing me that's important to have his perspective is to find beauty in life on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis. And what do I mean by find beauty? I mean look for the good things that are happening. No matter how challenging life may look, find the good that's happening all around you. And I believe that there is a direct connection between finding and identifying beauty and living a, content, a life of contentment. So another powerful resource for me through this time comes from a book titled A Different Beautiful, uh, written by an author, Courtney Westlake. So her second child um, was born with a rare life-threatening skin disorder, uh, and so maybe that's why I connect with it so well, um, but it's completely changed her family's life. 
And so in the book, she shares some of the lessons that God has shown her and her family throughout the journey. And her family has been faced with daily opportunities to curse God throughout the situation or to find beauty in life in the story that he's writing. So I'd like to share with you guys the introduction to her book. At least part of it. She says, When we encounter the unexpected, one of the most commonly used phrases is, my life was turned upside down. But when my husband, my son, and I welcomed our daughter into our family, our world wasn't turned upside down. When something's turned upside down, it falls apart. When it's upside down, it's destroyed and cannot be rebuilt. When liquid is upside down, it pours out and you can't fill your cup back up. When a Lego tower is turned upside down, the pieces fall off, crash, and break apart. But not our world. Our world was shaken up. When you shake something, only the strongest pieces remain standing. The weak pieces fall to the wayside. With the arrival of our daughter, our world was shaken to the core, but the strongest pieces remained. Our marriage, our relationships with our family, and our dear friends, our home, our jobs, and our community support. The most important priorities not only remained, but grew stronger. And through this, we came to realize how unimportant those weak pieces were that fell off, fell apart, and fell off. Pieces of our lives that were not priorities, that didn't matter. When our daughter arrived on the scene, life said, let's do this. She came into our lives and pushed us out into the wide open space of a world that was waiting for us to appreciate and celebrate all of the beautiful it offers us on a daily basis, sometimes in the moments we're least expecting. So her challenge here is that when life happens and life feels like a beach, don't view it as your life is being poured out or dumped out, but view it as your life is being shaken and let those things fall away that don't matter. Don't cling on to things that you think are so important that my life's always been this way. Let it fall away. Because you know what? It might just be for a season and it might come back. Don't fight what God's trying to do. And then she also says, look for the beauty in the situation. Find the beauty on a daily basis. And so I remember reading this in the middle of last summer, and I think it was one of the nights where I was staying in the hospital room with Matthew, and if you've ever slept in a hospital room, there's not a lot of sleeping that happens. And the nurses and the clinical assistants are awesome, but whenever the baby falls asleep, it seems like it's time for them to come in and take the temperature and check the blood pressure and give medicine or whatnot. And so like, there's not a lot of sleeping that happens. And so my wife shared this book with me, and so I was reading the intro one night, and I was like, really? I'm supposed to find beauty in this situation? God, let me tell you all of the things that are wrong with my situation. I'm stuck here in the hospital. I'm not sleeping. I'm exhausted. I've been separated from my daughter for like weeks. Now we're probably going to try to move her down here and like try to like parent two children from a hospital room. Like Matthew's, there's no like check. Okay, Matthew's healed. He's good to go. This is going to be a lifelong battle of is he okay? Is he not okay? Where is there beauty in this situation? And so as Amanda, my wife, and I talked, we were like, you know what? We need to decide and make a conscious decision that we are going to look for beauty in our life, and we're going to name it. And one thing that my wife, even when we were dating before I knew her, she always did was if something was going bad, she'd stop and she'd say, okay, tell me five things. And I'm like, okay. And I have to tell her five things that are good in my life, five things that I appreciate. And so as we choose and as we've chosen to view our life as being shaken up and not tipped over, 
It's allowed us to have things fall away that aren't that important and that I don't miss one bit, actually, to be honest. And um, as we found beauty, we see more and more the amazing blessings that are happening in our lives. I can honestly say that like playing bear hunt with my daughter 2,000 times in a row is so much fun. And if you've never read the book where we're going on a bear hunt, you have no clue what I'm talking about. It's a little kid's book, but we just like, we don't actually hunt for bears, don't worry. Um, I'm, not, I'm not like using my daughter as bait to get, no. Um, so, but we, anyway, I won't tell you about it, but like, I, I just, man, being with my family, and I really feel like God in this season of my life has just told me, your family's it. You just need to invest in them as much as you possibly can. And I have no greater joy than just being with them. When my daughter climbs up onto my lap, even just silly things like when we go to Target. Like for so long, we couldn't go to Target. Like my son couldn't go in public. We were separated. We we're in the hospital. Just like going to Target as a family, which my daughter loves Target way too much and like asks to go there all the time. Um, America problems. Um, but it, like, we've decided to look for beauty, and God has shown us more and more beauty than I could ever possibly imagine. Does that mean that our situation has changed? No. Have all my prayers been answered the way that I would answer them in the timely fashion I would? No. But I can honestly say I've never been more content in my life than I am today. And so going back to the Bible, um, the Apostle Paul, who was not short on experiencing hardships in his life, um, he was imprisoned multiple times, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, so many bad things happened to this guy. Uh, but yet he writes this in Philippians 4, 10 to 12. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he was writing to the church in Philippi, basically saying, like, thanks for helping me as I'm in jail, blah, blah, blah. Then he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And so when there's someone like Paul, who's had like a pretty challenging life and has faced some pretty rough things, when he can say, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, okay, I can learn that too. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or living in want. And so while the author Courtney Westlake encourages people to find beauty in every aspect of their life, no matter what's going on around them, I believe that searching for that beauty is that like I've learned to be content, is that learning to find contentment in no matter what happens in your life. And so I think it's important that whatever we face, we need to choose to find God's beauty happening around us, and that we'll see that direct correlation and relationship of a life of full of more contentment than we'd ever possibly imagine. And it doesn't mean stop asking for things. It doesn't mean just sit there and be like, okay, God, whatever happens, happens. I won't ask for anything again. I'm just going to be happy. No, because early in Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. So don't hold back. Tell God what you need. Read the Psalms. David wasn't short on like being pretty blunt with God and saying how he was feeling. Tell God how you're feeling. Tell him what you need but then thank him for all he has done. Find that beauty around you. And when we do these things, we'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.
So my three points that I came up with today, or I feel like God led me to today, is probably a better way to put it, because it's true, uh, is that as you walk through challenging times and trials in your life, and as you're trying to find God's perspective and find his way of viewing things when life is truly just feeling like a beach, um, these are the things that I've found have been helpful for me to trust God that he can take the worst situation and make something good from it. And not just make something good. Remember Ephesians 3.20, immeasurably more than we might ask or imagine. Look for beauty in life on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. And trust, trusting God and identifying beauty can lead to a greater sense of contentment than you've ever experienced. Now, This was a really challenging message for me to put together for some reason. And I think it was like self-inflicted because I was trying to say what I want to say and I wasn't really giving God a lot of like space. So it took me like, it was, it was a lot of labor, I guess, to actually, to put this together. Um, So last night I'm like really struggling and I'm like, this is going to be awful. Like, I don't even really know what I'm trying to say. And for some reason God was like, well, why don't you read your, uh, why don't you read your, journal from when you were down in Boston. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should have read that since like this whole message is kind of about that experience that I've gone through. Maybe it would have been helpful to read that like a month ago when I started thinking about this. So anyways, I opened up my journal last night. And if you keep these three points in mind, this was written without thinking about these three points. And those three points were written without thinking about this journal entry. So I wrote, Lord, this has not been my plan. I would not choose to have my son go through this trauma. I would not choose to be away from my daughter for three weeks. I would not choose to not be in the same bed as my wife. But God, I do believe you have greater purposes in this than I can possibly imagine. This is one of those things I'm having such a hard time comprehending, though. It's the whole idea that I can make my plans and pray for specific things, but in the end need to say, your will be done. It's because I have zero control. You are in control, God. If I'm being real, though, people would say, well, wouldn't you rather God's purpose than yours? Well, in theory, yes. But is my desire for Matthew not to have three surgeries bad? Is my desire to have my family together bad? No and no. When I think like this, though, it gets me focused on what I don't have, not on what I do have. I miss out, and I look past all these amazing blessings. The fact that Dr. Quinones was able to make a two-millimeter connection between Matthew's aorta and another artery. The fact that Matthew has strong bodily functions, that his lungs are great, his heartbeat is strong. The amazing nurses and the caring doctors. Ellie, my daughter, getting amazing time with grandparents and developing a new sense of independence, which now at the age of like three and a half is challenging, but hey, it is what it is. Um, The Devin Nicole house, which is way better than a sleep space. We were blessed with the hospitality um, home while we were down there. All of the amazing gifts from friends, the complete lack of stress over finances, the fact that I'm a teacher and I have summers off, the fact that we had four months to prepare because they detected HLHS before birth, um, that we live an hour away from Boston Children's Hospital, which for his heart condition, there's three hospitals in the world that people go to for this, and Boston Children's is right there at the top. The fact that we're using this as a platform to display our faith and that thousands of people are praying for him. And I could go on and on. Josh Wilson's song, Before the Morning, says, Maybe there are things you can't see, and all those things are happening to bring a better ending. Someday, somehow, you'll see. God, I know there's things happening that I can and can't see. 
Please give me the faith to trust you and the joy to walk through this season with thanksgiving. Please give me an eternal perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so stand with me as we pray. And by the way, I know that sometimes there's guilt that's associated with trials in our life. And this morning I was reading in my, devotion, in my uh, Bible reading, John 9, and Jesus approaches a man uh, who's been blind since birth. And I can't remember if it was disciples or just other people who asked him, like, God, who sinned to cause this in this person? And what does Jesus say? This has happened for my glory and my power to be shown in his life. And so if you're here today and you've been walking through something and you've just felt an immense sense of guilt that like this is like, this is my fault and I've done this for some way. And maybe you had a role to play in it, but maybe literally the purpose of what you're walking through is so that Christ's power may be displayed in your life and in this situation. And so if that resonates with you, just find encouragement in that. So God, we thank you for this day. And God, we thank you that you're with us. God, we thank you that we don't walk through anything alone. And God, we declare and we believe that you work all things together for good. God, even if it's not how we would choose to have it be, we today stand and believe that your ways are better than our ways, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, God, we surrender to you. God, I pray that people would walk out of here with a fresh perspective, God, which is your perspective, that we would search for you, that we would continue to surrender on a daily moment-by-moment basis to find beauty and find you working. So God, we give you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, if you're walking through something that you would just like to talk about or just have prayer for, please, we invite you to come forward. There's people here that would love to pray with you and be with you. God bless you guys. To Calvary.